features thought leadership interviews with bank and credit union executives, as well as industry thought leaders on relevant community banking topics. If you are the CEO or would like to be an executive someday, this is the podcast for you. Learn something new in each episode to improve the performance at your financial institution. And now, here's our host, Charlie Kelly. Hi, and welcome to Bank Talk. I'm Charlie Kelly, your host and partner at Remedy Consulting. Today, we have Kia Hazlitt back with us. If you listen to some of our earlier episodes, you know that Kia... Uh, spoke to us about fintechs, and we're exploring a little deeper based on a an article that Kia had written on buy now, pay later. So we're going to try to delve into the buy now, pay later topic and uh, try to teach you a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes, what makes up the secret sauce. So let's get started with Bank Talk. So we have uh, Kia Hazlitt on. Kia, thank you for joining us again. Charlie, thank you so much for having me. You're one of the few brave people that has uh, come back to the Bank Talk podcast, so so good for you, <laughs> and thank you for joining us. So today, Kia, we are going to talk about you. Always seem to find interesting content in your bank director articles, and uh, we I found another one on buy now, pay later, which followed some of the things we were talking about on on the fintech side. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe we would uh, spend a little bit of time today just kind of getting into some of the details around buy now, pay later. You know, what is it? How should a community bank think about it? You know, any opportunity, any threat, those types of things. And maybe just a better understanding of some of the models of some, you know, these fintechs that are doing buy now, pay later. Is that yeah, fair? Totally. Could you explain the concept? What is buy now, pay later? Where are we seeing it? You know, what's going on out there in the market on the BNPL side? Sure. Buy now, pay later is installment lending on steroids. And we're seeing the current iteration, we're seeing a lot specifically in the e-commerce space with very well-known consumer brands. When in my research, um, someone pointed out that buy now, pay later is almost a branded concept and that consumers have a lot of familiarity with what it means, even if they don't always know the companies or players behind it. When you check out, like say at Sephora, which is an online makeup company, you have the option of using a debit card, PayPal credit card, and now buy now, pay later. And a lot of these companies offer an easy, painless way to apply for a low dollar loan, either with no interest, with if it's paid back within the set period of time, or a small amount of interest. So you can really plan out these purchases and, and how much they'll cost you over time. And so because they are like, because retail merchants have really adopted them really quickly, you know, these fintechs have been able to partner with retailers to get the buttons installed in the website. And I've been really interested in this too, because I think of banks as being the traditional providers of installment lending credit. And I think we're really seeing in this current iteration, the banks being cut out of that process. Okay, great. No, that was a good summary on just what, the, you know, the types of things that we're seeing out there in the BNPL space. So we, when we talk about that last comment you made regarding 
you know, is there a revenue stream here for the banks that are being stolen? Or is this, you know, is that revenue stream being taken away from a traditional bank? Or is this a revenue stream that banks have never had an interest in? And when I say a revenue stream, I'm well, specifically what I'm talking about is sounds to me to be an unsecured loan yes. and with a, with kind of a high risk borrower. And it might not be high risk borrower might be that might be asking or, or saying too much, taking a little bit too far. But somebody who would want to take the installment payment as compared to maybe put it on their credit card. So give me your thoughts on that. I, well, that yeah. So I have not used a buy now pay later product from a like an affirm or a Klarna, which are two major providers. But when it comes to installment lending, I do think that there's an understanding that sometimes consumers just don't want to pay the full amount of a product, even if they can. And so they do use products like credit cards. There are mega banks that are the big providers of credit cards. I think back to myself, I have personally purchased my iPhone through an installment loan, which you know you could get through your phone provider, or you could actually get through Apple directly since I use an iPhone. And so I do think that there is a question about the credit worthiness of the borrowers, especially when we see a lot of purchases like clothing or makeup or, you know, items that, that maybe feel more discretionary. But I do think that having the option does just allow people to plan out their purchases. The other thing too, is that I I think like a lot of people my age, millennials and younger are pretty skeptical of credit cards. And so they view, they personally might view a credit card as being a riskier financial decision for them and maybe potentially getting them into more greater debt than if they just have a short, a series of short-term loans that are paid off between, you know, two months, if it's four payments every two weeks or, you know, a year, if they just need to have that purchase planned out um, based on their cash flow. And so that's sort of, uh, they can see the beginning and the end of the payment and they know that they've got a budget for the next, you know, four payments. Right. And at the end of that, it's done. They don't, it's not this sort of revolving line you have with the credit card, which is, you know, if yeah. I don't pay off 100% of that balance, I don't know how I'm going to chisel away at it going forward. Well, yeah, and it's interesting. I've, you know, my boyfriend purchased a new mattress on uh, using a firm and, you know, a mattress is maybe he could have saved up for it, but that would have taken him a year. And then maybe if he did decide to just use a big chunk of money, now he's, you know, kind of paid that off and can't use it right at the start of COVID. And he, you know, had to have some of his financials changed because of COVID. Whereas the Affirm loan allowed him to both afford this purchase on a monthly basis, plan for that cash flow, and then have that have that pretty important item um, delivered sooner rather than later. And we do see that with a firm that some consumers use the loan to pull forward their purchases, or and then we also see some consumers making purchases they wouldn't otherwise do if they didn't have it offered. So it is kind of like 50-50, some pull forward and planning and maybe some discretionary spending that maybe isn't a good idea in the long term, but is a little bit more affordable. Okay, no, that's a great, great perspective. So we talked about now. I'm gonna, I want to turn this just a little bit to the how these be how these uh, buy now pay later BNPL providers are thinking about their revenue streams, and we kind of talked about one. And I, I mentioned that I would call the back end of the product sort of a non secured loan. Now you had mentioned the fact that there's times you might go buy your phone or go buy a TV or go buy something in the BNPL. But my argument is, as a lender, you're never going to get that TV 
or that phone, right? As a lender, you you have to think of this as an unsecured loan because, or the article of clothing, right? Mm-hmm. They, they they must be viewing them as a as a non secured loan. So some way on the back end, they've got a financing option where they can see probably higher interest rates or some kind of a discounted loan volume, uh, loan dollar amount to make money on the loans. Is there another revenue stream? Most of the buy now, pay laters that function as non-banks, they have a funding partner who will be the bank. And then they have their technology and their integration with the retailer. And the way that most of these models work is that they make a portion, they take a portion or percentage of the sale that is made through the buy now, pay later option. So you buy a mattress with a credit card, you know, a firm doesn't make any money, but you may buy a mattress with um, a firm and a firm gets a portion of that sale from the retailer. And that's actually, a you know, just a huge part of the value proposition that these buy now, pay later companies offer, which is that they can argue, you know, you made a sale that you wouldn't have otherwise because we were able to help you finance it. And we call that in retail conversion. So the conversion, they increase the conversion rate of shoppers on the website. We'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you had mentioned that there are a couple of surveys out there that seem like this channel for the retailers is expanding their expanding their range, expanding their ability to make a sale. I don't know that we want to, we need necessarily need to go into the results of the survey, but I guess as I was thinking about this, I think in terms of revenue streams, right? And and if the retailer normally would put a thousand dollar mattress on a credit card, right? Then Visa would be charging them something in interchange fees yeah. for that merchant, right? I, I guess my question is if they don't have to pay Visa, because they went through this other channel called BNPL, right? So they don't have that interchange fee. I mean, maybe that's the way they think about it. Is that, do you have any other thoughts on that? You know, I, I don't know on the retailer side, if it's kind of a wash for, you know, whether they pay Visa or whether they pay a firm, I think that retailers are just really focused on converting as many customers or as many online shoppers into a customer and getting the highest ticket sale possible. And, you know, I think we also see from, from the surveys that retailers know that the in-store credit card offering is only going to resonate with so many customers. And so they're not placing a lot of emphasis or maybe they're not, maybe they're placing equal emphasis between the buy now, pay later option and the in-store credit card or the private label credit card. I don't know how much Sephora cares about how much they they pay an interchange to Visa. I know that Sephora really wants me to buy makeup and they want to make it as easy and affordable, quote unquote, as possible. Yeah, and I guess that goes back to your comment on that they take a debit card, they take a credit card, they take PayPal, they take whatever, right? I mean, this this might just be another channel, another option to make it as easy to shop with them as possible. Completely. Like. All right, we're going to take a break for just a couple of minutes. We have some bills to pay. So 
We're going to take a quick note from our sponsor, and then we'll get right back to this. Large technology contracts come up once every five years. How do you know if you're getting the right pricing contract terms from your vendor? If you're too busy or lack the experience internally to manage your negotiation, look to Remedy Consulting for the expertise you need to go toe-to-toe with your vendor when the time is right. Go to remedyconsult.net for a full list of our services or give us a call at 262-955-7776. All right, Kia, we're back. So I think where we left off is it, it's sort of a combination. If I look at the revenue stream or the way the BNPLs are thinking about their uh, their revenue streams, right? it's a combination of finance fees on the back end, if they can get them, if it's not a, a zero interest loan. And you know this share that they get from the retailer, for lack of a better term, right? For, from whoever's trying to sell the goods. So you had shared a bit of information that I just find fascinating. It's, it's a bit long. But this information came from a firm's public filing fee, uh, well, public filing. And and what the reason I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to just kind of absorb this is, you know, as I think about what the model is behind the scenes, it, it, it you know, to some degree, community banks should at least understand how how these, you know, how these loans are being made, how the dollars are being spread, those types of things. So I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes and I just want to get your comments on this. But here's a section from how they make BNPL transactions or how these BNPL transactions are going. Now, I wanted to share a little bit that you and I talked about right before this podcast. And we said, you know, it's probably not fair to pick on a firm uh, as a model, but for lack of, you know, making this a six hour podcast, we want to make sure that we pick a model and then just kind of stick with it and, and, you know, beat it to death a little bit. And then if it, you know, certainly everybody can kind of figure out the iterations off of that. Let me read this. Okay. So, uh, when a consumer applies for a loan through our platform, and again, this is a firm, the loan is underwritten through our proprietary risk model. Once approved for the loan, the consumer then selects is her, per- her preferred repayment option. A substantial majority of these loans are funded and issued by our originating bank partners. A substantial majority funded are originated through two different banks. I won't go through the two banks. Uh, these partnerships allow us to benefit from our partners' ability to originate loans under their banking licenses while complying with various federal, state, and other laws. Under this arrangement, we comply with their credit policies and underwriting procedures, there being their partners' credit and uh, underwriting procedures. And our originating bank partner maintains ultimate authority to decide whether to originate the loan. When originating bank partner originates a loan, it funds the loan out of its own funds and may sub- subsequently offer and sell the loan to us. Pursuant to our arrangements, we are obligated to purchase the loans originated through that platform. And our obligation is secured by cash deposits. Uh, Let's see, to date, we have purchased all of the loans facilitated through our platform and originated by our originating bank partners. We purchase a loan from the originating bank partner. The purchase price is equal to the outstanding principal balance plus a fee and any accrued interest. The originating bank partner also retains interest in the loans purchased by us through a loan performance fee that is payable by us on the aggregate principal amount of the loan. I'm going to get your thoughts on that. Let me give you just a five-second interpretation of what I understand is happening here. Bank A uh, is an originating partner for uh, a BNPL. They use that to 
go through all the proper credit policies, et cetera, and get the loan secured. At any point, it sounds like the BNPL provider is holding cash deposits equal to the loan volume. So they're, you know, to some degree, probably reduces the risk to the bank partner. Eventually, they buy 100% of those loans back from the bank partner. I, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that, Kia, if you could. Well, this is what we would call, you know, charter rentals or, and so there are some banks that have really made a business model in selling access to their pipes. When it comes to loans, you know, anyone who makes a loan using a bank has to follow that bank's credit policies, procedures, and regulations, which means that the fintech also has to follow it. We see that here. What I think is really interesting is that it sounds like a firm and other buy now, pay later retail or uh, fintechs that use a similar model take on a lot of risk. They they have to you know build the technology, integrate it. They make these loans to consumers that you know some of them are really good credit risk. Some of them might not be. And they hope that the loans are small enough and short enough that they get paid back easily. And then, you know, I I think that something I always like to keep in mind is that consumer lenders, they don't always perform well in turning, changing economic environments. And so it'll be really interesting to see how, like what the credit losses for companies like a firm are over time with consumers just defaulting on the repayments. Yeah. And that's a great, great perspective. Uh, one other clip here I should probably share that I think reduces their risk. Although, so, so this is a funding source discussion out of that same art, out of that same material. And basically this is how they reduce risk in my opinion. So I'm gonna read this to you as well. We maintain a capital efficient model through a diverse set of funding sources. When we originate a loan directly or purchase a loan originated by one of our bank partners, we often utilize warehouse facilities with certain lenders to finance our lending activities. So they have a short-term finance facility there. We sell the loans we originate or purchase from our originating bank partners to whole loan buyers and securitization investors through forward flow arrangements and securitization transaction and earn servicing fees from continuing to act as the servicer on the loans. I, I interpret that as they've sort of pre-securitized. If they, if they do a million dollars a month, they pre-securitized a million bucks that they know somebody will be looking to purchase those loans, those unsecured loans, a million dollars of unsecured loans. And again, they, they probably have to expand on how big the loans are, how long the payments are, right? Securitization is, is a tough animal probably for this type of thing. But I, I'm getting the feeling that they're doing everything they can to not hold the loans so they aren't stuck with some of the risk that goes along with a, a you know, worsening credit environment. I would agree with that. I don't know. I don't think a firm or any of these buy now, pay later fintechs actually want to be a bank. And so I think in a lot of ways they um, are engaged not in servicing um, or not in credit management, but they're mostly engaged in facilitating purchases and trying to price those purchases the correct way. And, you know, I don't know how many opportunities are for banks to interrupt this particular business model. There, you can definitely see how a firm is taking maybe some of what banks are best at and then bringing in their own uh, financial technology expertise and integration where we have seen banks struggle. 
And it seems to, and I think you mentioned this earlier, but it seems to be all about the turn, right? Uh, I call it inventory turn for lack of a better term, right? They want to turn the transaction at the retailer. And it seems like they also want to turn the loans right off their books and onto somebody else's. And what they're trying to do is keep the, keep the gap, right? They want to keep whatever they get from that retailer and they want to keep whatever they can get in either servicing fees or, you know, I guess it would be servicing fees less what they have to pay the originating bank. And, you know, the difference in the note rate, for lack of a better term, on that loan and what they can sell it down the pipe for, right? So what they can sell to somebody else for. That seems to be their gap. Their gap seems to be, let's churn as many as we can and let's not get stuck with the with the uh, the risk associated with you know these lines of credit. Right. It's okay. all about the transactions. All right. I think we beat that to death, but thank you. I, I, you know, it's all good material because I think it's it's very interesting for me to understand just how the how the engine works and how the you know how the secret sauce is made. And I think we covered quite a bit of that here. Okay, so I wanted to just change topics a little bit. We've only got a few few questions left here. In your article, you had mentioned a white label. And and what the white label, as I interpreted it, was these BNPL providers are offering uh, partners a white label, you know, the ability to white label their service. And, and what that looks like to me, right, is either a merchant that wants to white label this BNPL trigger, right, this BNPL, click through the BNPL thing, or a bank partner. Can you give me your thoughts? Is it is it one of those two? Is it both of them? Um, do you, any opinions? Yeah. So what the white label fintech I spoke to worked with banks. And I see this as essentially maybe the only way banks can interrupt the buy now, pay later or capitalize and leverage on the buy now, pay later popularity among consumers. So this fintech, um, they're called Amount. They are working with Barclays U.S., to white so that Barclays US can white label a buy now pay later option to Barclays customers. Now, when I'm saying customers here, I don't mean me at the checkout. I mean the retailers or the merchants or service providers that Barclays has financial relationships with. And I thought this was really interesting because it really kind of changes buy now pay later to be the relationship that banks need to focus on are their merchant or service provider relationships. They're small, small and medium businesses. So the bank would offer, you know, Barclays, let's say, has like an airline as a customer, and they can offer this white label buy now pay later functionality at the airline's checkout. And if a customer, if I'm at the airline, I'm a customer, now I'm a customer of the airline and I'm checking out, I can put that purchase on a debit card, a credit card you know, the Barclays private label credit card, or I can get a short-term installment loan to finance my airline tickets or my cruise or my, my uh, hotel stay. And Barclays is the underwriter of the loan using the uh, FinTech's credit processing technology. And this to, make, this to me makes a lot of sense because like I said, Banks are pretty good at installment lending. They've been the primary providers of installment loans, like car loans, for a while. And um, they have very cheap funding. They have good risk management. They are natural loan servicers. You know, they have a lot of that infrastructure in place. And like we saw with the um, um, Affirm's 
regulatory disclosures that, you know, the fintechs have to comply with the bank's credit policies anyway. And so I thought that this was just a really interesting opportunity for banks of all sizes to think really creatively about how they're providing payment options and convenient transaction technology to their service providers. Now, Barclays has airlines, but maybe community banks have the local orthodontist, or they um, there's like someone who sells solar panels or air conditioners purchases that we just that consumers want to make that take a long time to save up that that might have gone on a credit card or might never happen because it's just too much money to put up all at once. Right, and to me, so those are yeah. I think we covered a, a lot of areas there. To me, it all depends probably on how much, you know, when you talk about white label, that might be uh, something that's down the road for these BMPL providers, but down the road, right? It all, it all kind of depends on how much they can make that an off-the-shelf offering, right? Because, because think about it, you've got the bank in, in theory would have to, let's just say you're a bank and you have a great relationship with a bunch of orthodontists or car, uh, you know, maybe car repair places. So car repair guys got a bunch of customers coming in and they get $3,000 repairs and they don't know what to do with it, right? So they have, what, two options, put it on their credit card or just never pay the bill, right? Or don't pay the car. You, you can keep the vehicle, yeah, right? So, so, so with that scenario, if, if you're a community bank and you have those types of relationships in your, in your uh, commercial base, then if the white label offering was was downstream enough, was uh, off the shelf enough, in theory, you point them to a website, right? You fund the loan on their behalf, and then you decide what to do with, you know, you, I, I guess in that scenario, you'd have to decide, you have to figure out how to throttle it so it doesn't start violating your credit policies if you originate too many of them, or you know, use some facility in the back like the BNPL providers do. Get rid of the loans, you know, just don't hold that much of that specific loan product and, you know, find participation, you know, other banks that might want to participate in that type of a stream of lending. How much you want to do that? How much you, uh, you know, how much a bank, a bank, banks traditionally, community banks specifically haven't traditionally, you know, they, they stay away from sort of the payday lending. They stay away from the, the real high risk lending. And it's because of these consumer cycles and these, you know, the credit cycles and everything else that are just normal parts of doing business, I think. But yeah, you make a great point. You're right. If it could be labeled and it could be downstream, it certainly is an opportunity because the revenue stream seems to be from a retailer, which the banks don't have today. So you get a percentage of that. And then if you can figure out what to do with these these um, unsecured loans, you know, you got potential a second revenue stream there. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think buy now, pay later really shows that. When you don't have the right technology, increasingly, companies that don't have the right technology are going to miss out on opportunities. So buy now, pay later. We're talking about buy now, pay later like it's somehow different than an installment loan. It's not. But the changes, the technology that some fintechs were able to create, find partners for, implement and offer. And banks are kind of just cut out of it as the natural provider of credit. I, you know, I don't think this white label option will be right for every community bank, but, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but there aren't a ton of loans out there right now. Demand's pretty soft. And, you know, maybe this is a way to make your small business lending or your CNI relationships 
deeper. I mean, I, I guess as a bank, what, how would you feel if you saw a, you know, a retailer in town, maybe a jewelry store and on their website of your customer, you saw an affirm at checkout. Now, is that an opportunity you would have wanted to have, you know, to be able to offer your customer or are you as the bank just going to say, well, you know, we don't want to finance wedding rings. So, or watches. And so we don't, we don't even care that we lost that opportunity. And I think just understanding and the issue and the business model and the potential ways to get involved in this play is the first um, step into actually making a decision about these types of loans and these types of customers and relationships. Yeah, oddly, right? I think you hit it right in the head. You said, you know, to some degree, what throughout the pandemic, at least, right? What have what have community banks been complaining about or not complaining about, but you know, what have they been trying to solve for? How do I get more loans and how do I get more fee revenue that I don't have today? Oddly, this is both of those things, right? It's fee revenue from a merchant, which you never would have thought of today. If anything, it might be cannibalizing your interchange revenue stream a little bit by not doing something about it from a, from the perspective of how many different, you know, how many different boxes does this check it checks quite a few if you can get your head around to it, and and you can rent the technology back from the from the uh, BNPL provider. Yeah, I think so too. And for and the the thing is, is without that white label, it's really difficult to figure out how community banks can even get involved in the first place. But certainly, I think it's just really interesting that so many fintechs are able to offer this, and we haven't seen maybe a compelling competitive offering from from banks outside of a couple of really interesting retail partnerships, which we probably don't have time to get into, but it's just not an opportunity that's available to everyone. And I worry that the competitive landscape has already moved so far away from banks that they're just going to be the account holder. They're just going to be the person who has the checking or the institution that has the checking account that gets debited by the buy now pay later every month or every two weeks or whatever the arrangement is. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, without looking to the technology and looking to the future, Right, you're stuck. You're staying behind. So, I think it's good perspective. Okay, uh, Kia, thank you very much for your time. Well, that's that's the last question I have. Unless you have any other thoughts or comments on this. No, I would. Um, you know, I'm interested to see how these buy now pay later lenders um, perform in an economic downturn. I also, you know, would like to see. If uh, we see consumers who take out too many of these experience credit weakness, because I do think that's another thing that banks should be aware of is the transaction or the debiting that's going on in the account and helping um, consumers get a handle on these installment loans. Yeah, it'd be real interesting to see if they can go remove out of their off of their books 100% of these loans. Right? Do they have a do they have somebody that's willing to buy them? And you know, as you know, in in that securitization world. It's all about perceived risk. So if you get a bunch of these loans and you can't get them off your books or, or you have to take a loss to get them off your books, it puts you in a real dangerous position as a, as a company. Yeah, um, as the middleman, yep. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, they're the middleman until they can handle off, right? Mm-hmm. I, I would argue. So, okay, well, thank you very much uh, to everybody. If you could, uh, you know, take a look at, uh, Kia, your, your article's out in Bank Director. Is that correct? Yes, it's called How Community Banks Can Compete with Buy Now, Pay Later. Great. Now, a good article. And again, we appreciate you spending a little time with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
Okay, so that's it for Bank Talk today. Again, for Kia, to Kia for joining us. Covered a lot of great ground here. And, and you know, just maybe we went into too much detail on the model, but to me, the model is what makes the whole thing work. And, you know, if you're considering some type of a white label arrangement, or even if you're considering just rebranding your web page and, you know, thinking about the functionality you might want there, and I'm not rebranding your web page, rebranding your bank as, a, as an online only bank. I think there's a lot of things that are, are excellent takeaways from the way that some of these fintechs are doing business and the way they're thinking about things. Because you may not want every one of these revenue streams as an option, but uh, you'd be crazy not to know what they are. Uh, you, you, know, you don't want to put your head in the sand. So that's it for Bank Talk. Have a good day and keep on learning. Thank you for listening to the Bank Talk podcast. To reach out to Kia, go to bankdirector.com and view the latest article. For more information on Bank Talk, go to banktalkpodcast.com or remedyconsult.net. And we will see you in the next episode.